Welcome to Let's Talk Product, a podcast by Propeller about building software products and companies. I'm your host, Lean Ashkar, and on this show, we explore what it takes to build global tech products. We cover everything from user experience to customer obsession, product strategy to scaling software. If you're a Mina-based startup looking for an early stage investor, get in touch. We'd love to talk. On today's episode, I've got Iyad, co-founder and CEO of Penny Software. We get into the details of how they've been building a global SaaS product out of Saudi Arabia. Hello, Iyad. Hello, sahla fiik ala Let's Talk Product. Uh, very happy to have you with us. Kif halak liyom? Yeah, ahla wa sahla liyom. Kif alhal. Alhamdulillah, khair. Happy, happy to be here and excited. It's been uh, long overdue. You and I have been. <laughs> I've been chatting for quite some time and we kept on pushing it. So I'm super excited to be here. Exactly. Likewise. Yeah, I'm excited. The journey of Penny, how you built it, when was it today? But like to start off, um, in getting to know Iyad. Um, how about take you give us a brief overview on your career to date? For sure, for sure. Um well, it, uh, it started when I was in college, actually. Um, mm-hmm. When I was in college, I went to school in the US. And uh, when I was in college, I started something on the side um, as a startup. Um, it wasn't a tech company. It was, it was it's actually a funny story. Uh, it was like the opposite of tech. Um, and and to, be, to, be, to be totally honest, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I didn't even know like the term entrepreneur and um, I didn't know like the tech companies or tech startups. It's not like, you know, like, you know, kids these days they are getting, they'll get really excited and inspired by, by, by the ecosystem and Silicon Valley. And they, you know, they would be like in first year in college and understand what's going on and who, what is venture capital. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that. So what happened is, um, I invented a silly product, which is like a cover for the air conditioning, for the central air conditioning. Um, so it's, they, they call this uh, a vent cover. So I simply like built a vent cover with a remote control that you can like control it. Uh, and I couldn't find it in the market, so I built it. And I had the, uh, uh, the, the patent uh, for it. And built oh, it, uh, and I was in, like, I was, I was, I was a kid in college, like literally, like second year in college, and uh, so I, I had to go out of my way and learn how to file for for a provision, a provisional patent, and then and then mm. find manufacturers. I called manufacturers in the U.S. I called manufacturers in China. Uh, I I must have called over like one hundred manufacturers to find the right one. And wow. we found them and we built the product and we had our first shipment, we came to the US and we said, okay, this is great. So we're just gonna go around and sell it. I didn't even think of selling it online. So I was like, I literally had this physical product and I would go door to door. I would go to HVAC companies and say, hey, my name is Yad and I have this, this product. And they would look at me and they usually like these big HVAC companies, like in the highways and in the interstate in the Midwest, they would look at me mm-hmm. like at this skinny Arab guy who barely speaks English <laughs> telling them that he invented this product and nobody cared. Like nobody, right? <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, so I, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't successful in selling it. I sold it to a few companies, uh, but I wasn't really successful in selling it. Um, and I remember uh, there is this professor who told me that I should meet another professor for entrepreneurship. And I met with him mm-hmm. and he said, well, why don't you, why don't you open a website? So I opened the website to sell it. Nobody bought. <laughs> and that professor told me, well, because your website is selling only one product, like why don't you uh, bring other sort of vent cover and sell all kinds of vent covers? So we opened a website called myventcover.com. Um, it's quite funny. Uh, I bet like if we YouTube it right now, you will see the crappy ad for it. <laughs> but so we opened this website, and this is this is basically my intro to tech. And we opened okay. this website called myventcover.com, and we brought other sort of like a unique design vent cover that are a bit more expensive for fancy homes and we listed them on the website so the website started picking up um Mm -hmm. our product wasn't selling much but the website started picking up and at that time we figured well why don't we open an ebay account back then um Mm -hmm. we thought ebay was more popular than amazon we opened an ebay account and started selling and then we opened an amazon account and started selling and what we the experience was is that our product uh, called ClickVent, our product, mm-hmm. the ClickVent, started selling, and we've had we've had it, we start it started to pick up and we started to see good demand on it and we were so excited. Only that, like people found out that when they buy this remote vent cover that is a battery powered, uh, two weeks down the road it would break down. <laughs> so it was a terrible oh. experience. So people at the beginning say, oh, yeah, we've been looking for this for a long time. I cannot reach to my vent because it's high in the ceiling, and I've been looking for something like this for a long time. And then they would try it, and the two weeks down the road, they would be highly disappointed. So long story short, the product totally failed. It was a total disaster. Uh, people were putting like bad reviews on us, and it was really, really terrible. The good news is uh, people started selling at their vent covers, so things started mm-hmm. picking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought that, hey, why don't we open another sort of like niche website uh, and we call it myairfans.com and we only focus on airfans. So we did that and then we did faucets and we did others. And then what, what happened is that we created a collection of stores and we created a network of dropshippers. And this is how we basically ended up not selling and buying product, but sort of like working in the data. like. You know, we're just managing data because we're just dropshipping, right? So that's my 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 intro to to tech. What an experience, really! Like you've you've learned the basics of everything that has to do with you know taking a product to market, maybe launching a bit too fast before you know testing the product, but exploring all these different channels as well. Um, maybe Berki تقدر تحكي حتى كانت maybe more valuable than your actual education degree. <laughs> yeah, education was fine. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I learned so much by hustling out on the ground. Uh, but definitely, education was, uh, was, uh, was super helpful, obviously. I, I did uh, yeah. my undergrad in civil engineering. I minored in mathematics. Uh, okay. I've always been good with math. So, so I, I did engineering. Engineering was easier for me, so I did engineering. Uh, minored in mathematics. Mm-hmm. I did my master's degree in structural engineering. And then I did another master's degree um, in, in business, an MBA program. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, but it was fun, but you know, the hustling was the, the fun part of it. 
So that's how we built our mm -hmm. e-commerce technology company in the US. But I, I really like, I, I didn't know how to hire. Like I literally didn't know the basic things. And mm -hmm. I didn't know how to hire. I didn't know how to hire. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how to do all of that. So it was just me trying trying things out. It was an incredible experience, but it was, it was, it was just learning experience. So we didn't know how to raise funds. Uh, back then we were invited by Plug and the Play in Silicon Valley, and we were so excited. And we went to Silicon Valley's meet with Plug and Play. And, they, and I still remember what they said. I would never forget that. They said, wow, you guys are amazing. You're a hustler. It looks like you're up to something. But when you decide to be serious about it and come down to the valley, let us know. As if you are not serious if you're not in the valley. <laughs> so so well, they ended up not investing. Um, and unfortunately, after like seven years, uh, that venture failed. So we had to shut okay. down the venture with a very, okay. very, very painful experience because failure, you know, I know we always like to glamorize failure. Failure sucks. It, it's it really especially hurts. your first time failing, Sah. I think that it's the first, it's the shock of the first experience, especially if you were doing well in university, you're always getting good grades, whatever it is, like if you've never failed before, it's a slap in the face. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So it was, it was uh, like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It was a painful, painful experience. However, mm -hmm. it was a super, super helpful um educational experience because if, if if i didn't go out and then all of this and then i would have learned some like all the things that could have helped me uh, down the road so after that i was pushed by kareem uh, a company that i've never heard of a startup not a company a startup i was still in the us um okay so somebody called me from kareem uh found me on linkedin and reached out to me and and they said, hey, we are this startup, VC funded, uh, founded by McKinsey, uh, ex-McKinsey. I'm like, what the hell are these guys? And, and I thought, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I built my own startup. I'm not going to work for someone else's startup. That's mm -hmm. what I thought, right? And this <laughs> ego, right? Like this ego that, that this is the worst thing that entrepreneurs could do, have an ego. And I said, I'm not going to work for other uh, people's startups. So... Uh, then I was convinced because I was solo on the mission. And then I returned, I came back home uh, in Serbia, and uh, uh, I joined Karim as a general manager. And uh, Karim was an incredible experience, an incredible experience. I think one of, the, one of the best thing I learned from Karim is humbleness. So first of all, mm -hmm. it humbled me and allowed me and gave me the chance to, 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 to suck up my ego. And, and learn from others, right? And, and that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. If there are people who are ahead of you in life professionally, you should learn from and you should be coached. And actually, just this morning, I posted something on LinkedIn about this. Um, and it was a phenomenal experience. So I will, you know, not talk about Kareem because I could talk forever. It's uh, Kareem Madrasa, business buddy. I learned so much from the founders of Kareem from my colleagues in Korean, from the leaders of Korean. It was, it was Madrasa, it was a school, uh, unbelievable. So I mean, that was kidding. This, so I, this was in uh, 2000 and what? Uh, that was 2017. Okay. And, and, and then I became the marketing director 
of Korean mentality. At the same time, as I was the general manager, so I was wearing two hats, which is amazing, mm -hmm. right? Because that's like that's what you learn in startups. In startups, you get to do so many things. You get to do a lot of things, and you get to learn from them uh, because it's chaotic at the inside, glamorous on the outside, but always chaotic at the inside. So, yeah. uh, so that was Korean, and uh, in 2020, uh, I left Korean. Like actually, like January 2020, beginning of 2020. I left mm -hmm. Kareem to start Penny Software, and here we are. Amazing. Now let's get into Penny. I know you have a few co-founders who, who you started, as you mentioned, early 2020. But where did you What's the inspiration behind Penny? Jimmy, um, so we have four co-founders, and uh, we started working on Penny early 2020, but we actually launched Penny in late 2020. Uh, we launched mm -hmm. uh, Penny Software into, in September of 2020. So we've been like, you know, like, you know, what, 14 months only. Uh, now, how how did we, so let me tell you what is Penny. Uh, Penny is an mm -hmm. enterprise software that helps organizations completely digitize their procurement. So if you are a mid-sized to large-sized company or an organization, Penny can help you completely digitize your procurement from request to payment. Now, this field is, this, this idea is not new. This field is known globally and it's growing like crazy globally. Uh, there are softwares that usually refer to as procure to pay software or e-sourcing software or digital procurement, you name it. Uh, but basically the idea is like this, like, you are a company, you have procurement, you have procurement department, uh, people are requesting things, you are sourcing for products and services. How do you manage all this? How do you have data consolidation? That's Penny, and that's what we do. Now, we differentiate ourselves from uh, other players in the market, and we're talking about global competitors by actually providing a system that's much more intuitive, much faster to implement, much easier to use, and it has features that others don't have. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to get too technical into procurement as of what are those features. But in short, our e-sourcing is is is, uh, is is much faster, uh, much more intuitive, um, and it requires less investment. Um, so that's that's what Penny is. Um, <laughs> now, also, if you join Penny as a company, you join the Penny community. So you can actually buy and sell from inside the community. So you can you join Penny as a procurement to help you buy, but you can actually sell. So right now we have over 300 sellers in, in Penny. We have over 200,000 um, SKUs or product listings from the Penny community. And uh, and yeah, you join the community, you buy and sell. So that is what Penny is. And Lynn, I'm... I'm I'm over caffeinated, by the way, so if I keep talking, please stop me. <laughs> but that's who I am. All right. Uh, <laughs> no, um, loving this. Perfect. Ooh, so, ooh, um, where did the uh, where did the inspiration come from? So where did the inspiration come from? Uh, it's uh, it's always a confusing question to me because the answer is is like we don't know because it's not like oh here's an idea let's do this let's build a procurement system. And we go out. It was not like this. It was an evolution of ideas. Um, so mm -hmm. we actually, we, 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 we started as, we're going to build a B2B marketplace. And that was, okay. you know, when, we, when we first started talking about it back in 2019, we said that 
why don't we build a B2B marketplace focusing on, uh, focusing on the construction industry in Saudi? We, okay. we figured back then that no one is really uh, solving this problem. There's a huge gap between supply and demand, and no one is actually digitizing that gap So in Saudi. So we said that's the idea. Now, when we started building it, and we started going down to, to, to the market and learning from suppliers and, and customers, that was when we were like building the product in every 2020, we realized that, well, there's a reason that such marketplace does not exist or no one has been successful in it because companies are not people. They don't go to a marketplace and buy. That's not how it works. Companies go through procurement processes. Right? There's, there's like somebody, uh, somebody who is an engineer who would raise their purchase position and will go through approval workflow and it will be against budget, against inventory, and then it will go to procurement and procurement will uh, find multiple, multiple suppliers and uh, mm -hmm. source for this product and negotiate with them and compare quotation and negotiate that. And even when they buy, they buy on a credit. Nobody pays cash. So this is why mm -hmm. a marketplace does not work. It just does not work. You can't just, companies don't just go like to Amazon and say, hey, give me 200 air conditioning. Like that's not mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we realized that, okay, in order for us to build this marketplace, we have to build what's, the marketplace is, the marketplace is nothing but the, the thin layer. Like this is the, 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 the top of the iceberg. Um, mm -hmm. Let us build mm -hmm. a marketplace that has all these procurement and we found ourselves building a procurement software. And then we said, and I remember like one time we said, hey, are we SaaS? And we realized mm -hmm. that we're building a SaaS company. So it's an evolution. Like the idea didn't happen like by this. It's an evolution, but by going to the market and learning from prospects. Amazing. This is so. This is a, such an interesting point to make, Ashan. يعني, it's so important to stay close to the market and hear their feedback and pivot quickly. يعني, you could have easily just decided to stick with your initial idea and that wasn't going to pick up for quite some time. Um, but هلأ, you mentioned in the you focused on construction, right? But um, right now, I believe it's horizontal SaaS. You are selling la يعني أكثر من قطاع. Um, is that true? And what do your customers look like? So you mentioned كمان أرتفي عندكم 300 suppliers. Are these your, you know, subscribers, the SaaS users? That is correct. So um, you're absolutely right. We're not focusing right now on any industry. Uh, so what what happens is that when we when we build this uh, when we build this procurement SaaS, we realized a few things. One, we realized that we are industry agnostic. Um, our SaaS mm -hmm. is, is a procurement SaaS that can be used in a healthcare facility, can be used in a law firm, it can be used in, in a construction company. Um, mm -hmm. It's totally industry agnostic. Number two, we realized that we are also regional agnostic. And that's where the fun begins to me personally. Um, what we realize is that once you build a procurement SaaS, uh, first of all, there are very few competitors out there. Uh, like I'm talking about like companies that are well known. There are hundreds and thousands of startups like us, I'm sure. But I mean, I'm talking about the big companies that are taking market share. There are very few globally. Globally, this whole field is new. 
and uh, it's a growing life. It's a growing like crazy, especially in the valley. Now we realize that from day one, you're building a global tribe, and you mm -hmm. are whether you like it or not competing in a global competitive landscape. Why? Exactly. Because because when 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 we go out in our market in Saudi and talk to the Saudi company as a Saudi startup. Who are they at the end of the day making compared as well to make to make their decision? They are saying, huh, should I go with Penny or should I go with Microsoft or Coupa or Jagger or SAP or Urco? Or so from day one, we found ourselves competing with a global player, right? So mm -hmm. what we realize is that in order for us to uh, in order for us to win, uh, we have to really, really raise the bar. We have to mm -hmm. read because, well, good luck. Now you're competing with Microsoft, uh, exactly. with big companies, right? So we have to really, really raise the bar uh, in terms of like the caliber of our team, in terms of what we need to accomplish, in terms of the quality of our product. Number two, uh, it's exciting because now our TAM is not Saudi. Our TAM is the global market, just mm -hmm. like any mm -hmm. other competitors. So. And really, this is what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about building a global company and a global brand from the region to the world. And now the mission all of a sudden became so meaningful to me, so purposeful, and so exciting. So that actually is what, is, what makes it very exciting to me. Uh, and in order to do this, we needed to build a brand that's global. So Penny, if you look at the brand and the feel and the look and feel of the brand, it is in. It's not Saudi. It's not British. It's not Indian. It's 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 just generic. It's it's brand that can exactly. grow global. So yeah. Amazing. I noticed this about uh, about your website. Um, يعني, it's so clean and modern and, and the branding is, is very on point. But hatta yani copy bilinglisi when you go to a lot of B2C uh, brands Saudi, so you clearly are uh, targeting a global a global market. Um, on that point, يعني, من, your customers, So we right now we're actually focusing only on the Amina, but mostly focusing on on KSA. Um, however, uh, we've have we, we've been having really good traction. So we have in terms of like active prospects from I think about like thirteen countries, and these are the hotkeys that we're finalizing with. Like one of the thing, the one of the ones that we're like you know putting the last stitches with is. Is a bank in Mexico, uh, and 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 most of these happened organically. In fact, most of our customers and, and the traction and penny have been organic so far. Um, so, however, however, um, this is not what we uh, will focus on. This is just the beginning. Uh, we will go out and we will establish actually good presence. And and the UK, UK is very important to us. And uh, we're going to set up an office in the UK and we're we'll start having that market uh, with digital marketing, with, atten with attending conferences and etc. But why are we not doing this now? And this is something that's very, very important. And I, if anyone is listening who is a product manager or, 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 or you know, CTO or a founder of a product like a software company, especially B2B, this is, this is important. Now, mm -hmm. 
and all that like when you when you build when you build a product and people who have been doing this or that will resonate with them when you build a product of this sort when you build a product that is solving a b2b problem and solving a very big problem and it's more of an enterprise kind of product it is actually it, 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 it's you don't go out to the market and you just like hey it's the product market fit right the product is perfect everything we theorize this is true that's not how it works what happens is when you go to market and this is a hundred percent the case every time as much as you believe that you have figured it out in your theory and your planning once you go to the market you will learn something else mm -hmm. once you go to the market you will realize that uh, you need to iterate on your product and you need to learn and you need to grow and you need to, to sort of like uh, the product will evolve. And that period from hello world and launching your product and uh, until you go to, I'm going to go to growth mm -hmm. is a long R and D period. Whether you like it or not, you have to go through this, this R and D, I really, really believe in that one of the most, one of the most underestimated costs in SaaS businesses is R and D. Mm -hmm. Especially in our region, especially in our region, because it's understandable we don't have history of this, right? So, so because we don't have history, it's being you know people don't have full awareness. But if you're about to start a SaaS company, a B two B solving an enterprise problem, you must accept that you cannot grow until you go through R and D, and R and D is hard and mm -hmm. expensive, and and you learn so much. From your customers but you know what you learn from your prospects before your customers you learn you need to go down to the market you need to learn and you learn a lot from your prospects before your customers why and need to see you learn from your customers right in Karim, we want so many products i've personally been part of this we mm -hmm. launch we test it on 100 people and then we learn sometimes we test it on thousands of people and then we learn right and b2b is not like that and B2B, for somebody to adopt your company, uh, and especially like a, a big enterprise solution, that is a decision that's probably going to take six months or a year. You have to convince a committee, right? They will do a lot of due diligence on your product. It's a, it's a huge, heavy adoption. You, you can't just test on them. Especially enterprise, especially since you're going for the largest of, of customers. Of course, absolutely, absolutely. So I'll give you an example from our own build procurement, right? You can't just go to a hospital, right? It's a hospital. Like people could exactly. die and say, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, bear with us, it's just, you know, uh, it, it's just an MVP and we're going to learn exactly. from you. No, mm -hmm. you can't do that. So you need to, you need to take it, uh, you need to learn and you need to accept that R&D cost and then only grow when it's the right time to grow. And you know when it's the right time to grow. One, when you find that your product is actually solving a meaningful problem, and when you have happy customers. Only if you have happy customers, mm -hmm. you should have, you should dare to grow. Don't dare to grow if you don't have happy customers so and enterprise. So that, so now we are at the stage, uh, now we are at the stage where we are getting there. And in 2022, mm -hmm we will actually go out and a bit, be a bit more aggressive. So we've been sort of keeping it quiet in R&D. Now we've passed that stage. Now we have happy customers. 
And that's what makes me happy. Like when I see our customers happy and excited about the product, and and in 2022 is the time for us to go to go out and say, hey, this is amazing. This product is working. People are loving it. Let's scale it mm -hmm. and let's scale it to global. Exactly. Once you get to product market fit, basically, صح يعني into هلا you're still يعني you probably reached product market fit, but this whole journey of building a product that users just absolutely love, you need to be so close to your end customers for the fact that they're around you in Saudi and you can go visit, see how they use it, uh, iterate. Uh, this all goes back to that this is R&D until you're confident enough in that your product is ready. Exactly. But you, you spoke about MVP, which I think is, is a very interesting topic, a topic, MVP for enterprise. What does that look like, Ashan? It's, it's supposed to be a minimal, صح? minimal viable product. Right. But minimal for enterprise is still quite big, صح? right? Into when you launch, you said Bellash to be, be Jan, and then you went to market in September. So I'm guessing throughout all that time you were building the MVP, uh, which is quite a long time, صح? Uh, right. in the startup world. At least people might view it that way. So what was the actual MVP? Yeah. So that's a very very good question. So let me start by this. Um, B2B and enterprise and B2C are completely different animals, right? So what is an MVP for an enterprise solution is not what's an MVP. So if you're if, if a listener is in the B2C world, uh, ignore everything I'm saying right now. If you're in the B2B world, think about stuff. So if you're in the B2C world, you can have an MVP, you can have an MVP um, on launch and scale it and then grow it from there. Um, and that's really, really hard to do is to find that MVP with a product market fit in B2B. So that's the, that's like the, the, the golden formula, right? In B2C to build an MVP mm -hmm. and a product market fit. Da da da, golden formula. That's not the case in B2B. In B2B, it's the easiest thing to do. And it is no honor in doing it. Why? Because I'm talking about enterprise. Because when you build an MVP, it's so easy to build an MVP because what is an MVP? An MVP that finds a product market fit that solves a problem for a customer. Yeah, of course, because you're working with one customer and you're customizing for that customer. That's how enterprise at the beginning mm -hmm. works, right? And, exactly. and so, so I come to you and say, Hey, you have a very big company and you have a very complex problem. I'm going to solve it for you. This is what I offer. And then you'd say, okay, this is great. Uh, can you do this and that? And you say, sure we can, sure we can, sure we can. So I built you the mm -hmm. product and then you, you use it and you say, well, thank you, Iyad. This product works and it's solving my problem. Well, of course it's solving your problem because you told me what is your problem. When I designed the product that exactly fits your problem and I solved it. And now I can go out mm -hmm. to the world and say, hey, I have an MVP. I have a happy customer. Product market fit. No. So what you need to do, what you need to achieve in enterprise is MRVP, which is minimal repeatable viable product. Mm. Not MVP, because you can build an MVP. Let's say you're solving you you're solving friction, right? Um, you can build this product for, for this company and then go to another company and then tweak the product a little bit and then build it. Then you go to the third company and then you tweak a lot of the product a little bit. 
and build it. And now you have three different products that sort of look alike, but not the same. Totally different instances. Exactly. They're not. Exactly. <laughs> in this, but, but, but you're basically like uh, customizing for every customer. And now you can do this for 100 companies. And that's fine. You can do that, right? All you need to do is have really good sales team and really good, awesome engineering team. But that's not scalable. That's not a product as well. That's, you're building custom solutions. You're building custom solutions. You probably, you probably like 80% of what you're building is the same product, right? But then, so it's kind of like mm -hmm. the same product, but it's, it's a bit tweaked with every customer. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. is that wrong? The answer is no. This is the right thing to do. Because you cannot really get to MRVP unless you have a lot of MVPs. Only when you have a lot of MVPs in enterprise, you will learn how to build your MRVP. Mm. Otherwise, you're just theorizing. Mm -hmm. Like have real customers. Yeah, so yeah. true. And I, I guess you also faced this, Ashan. You were going industry agnostic. You went after healthcare, after construction, after a few other verticals. Each one has different requests. No. No? So, so I wish that was the case. But okay. reality is no. We found out that really procurement is not really that much difference between construction and, 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 and uh, consulting. Okay. It's procurement is procurement. Uh, but what we found is that when you come to solve a complex problem, you don't have 10 issues to solve, right? I, I mean, I've been, in, I've, been, I, I've been in Kareem, right? Like, I know the issues in Kareem, like 10 issues. Somebody needs a ride. Somebody who can give a ride. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a destination from one to two. You know, I can list the problem and there will be probably 10 problems to solve. We can build a product that solves these problems, match it together, right? From destination one, destination two, and etc. When you come to solve something like this, complex, you think you have 50 such problems? There are probably 3,000. So you're not going to build a product that's going to solve all these 3,000. And you would say, well, out of these 3,000 problems, how can I build a product that really solves the top 500 problems of these mm -hmm. that are repeatable to everyone, mm -hmm. right? To build processes and features that are repeatable to everyone. Well, you're going to theorize at the beginning, but you're not going to know until you actually learn and build and work with customers and listen to prospects. Then you will start realizing, okay, now let me shortlist that list from... 3,000 problems to 1,000 problems, and from 1,000 problems to 500. And then you say, now that I've built multiple solutions, now I know what's repeatable. Now you're designing that repeatable product. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to know because it's not a, a list of 10, 15 problems. It's a list of thousands of problems, and you're not going to know until mm -hmm. you actually do it. Interesting, interesting. I think this is a very, very important point to know. You have a variety of customers, they all have, as you mentioned, a bunch of other problems they want to solve. Um, prioritizing these, prioritizing feature requests, I think, which is a product, you know, the product manager's job at a B2B enterprise, uh, at a B2B enterprise SaaS company is really tough. You have all these feature requests and you can't go and build everything. Um, Ashan, you don't want to have this super bloated product that people end up only using, you know, a fraction of the features. 
So you, what you're saying is to make sure I, I got this right. The more you talk to people, the more you talk to prospects, the, the, the features that need to be at the top of that list that need to be prioritized will become clear with all of these conversations. Ashan, they're going to be repeated. Sah, yani. Everybody's saying, we need this, we need this, we need this. But only like 10% of, of companies are saying we need that. You're, you're absolutely right. And the more, so you learn from your prospect first and then you learn from your customers. Because be careful with prospects. Prospects could say, oh my God, this feature is so important. I cannot do without it. Right? Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to reality, they don't use it. Right? Um, so you learn from your prospects, but you also learn from your customers. And in B2B, an enterprise, you must really listen to your prospects work because that's the only, this is the, the first level of filtration that will get you to the next stage, which is customers. Unlike B2C, where you test 100 of customers and then that. But, but that's really tough as well. It makes it harder because, exactly as you said, the customers that are using the product know what it what it includes and know what's missing so when they ask for something it might be you know there's more confidence uh, in that feature request as opposed to a prospect who doesn't hasn't seen the product or hasn't used it yet and is asking for x y and z so as you mentioned a lot of times these requests during the sales uh, first sales contact um are are not yani i wouldn't put so much confident uh, confidence in that in that specific feature correct. request correct and we've had these mistakes right like we 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 would and i think i think every every software company could like relate to this but we've had this mistake in, in any software where mm-hmm. we talk to a customer and say uh we need this this x feature uh, i can't believe you don't have it mm-hmm. and then we talk to another customer and then we, they say you don't have this x feature and then we would like, you know, go crazy about it. And then we say, oh my God, let's meet, let, you know, have an all hand meeting and say, this feature is very important. We're not going to grow without it. An engineering team would say, well, we're overstretched. Like, do we really need this X feature? And we say, do you want us to sell or not? Because this X feature we cannot do without, right? And then we realized that, wait a minute, it was a sample of two. Mm-hmm. This is two customers. So is it really worth And then we would go out and prioritize these features. And then we, we go out to the world and say, hey, we have this feature. Mm-hmm. And then say, okay, okay, that's not important. Exactly. And then say, why did we, de- <laughs> why did we deprioritize other features and totally prioritize this one? And now nobody cares about it. It's because we just got to- too excited by talking to two customers only. Uh, who were keen about this feature. Mm-hmm. So you listen to your prospect, but sort of like you have to filter the bullshit. Me, but me. So many learnings in B2B product management. I think it's, it's in my opinion, it's definitely harder than B2C. Um, but I'm curious to hear from you. And no, you launched initially, the focus has been on Saudi markets. Uh, but the product, as you mentioned, is also... Yani solves the problems for a lot of global customers. Do you think it would have been easier if you launched in a more mature market first? A hundred percent. I mean, I would, I, 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 I would, I would like to sugarcoat it and say, oh, Saudi is great, it's the best market. But yeah, Saudi is a, is a great in terms of potential. But of course, of course, we're there is no no doubt that if if we have launched in a, a bit more mature market where uh, 
you know, medium-sized companies are more adaptive to, to SaaS solutions, you would, you would have yeah, uh, grown much faster and learned much faster. What would have been easier exactly? Well, here's the thing. Um, what we found right now is that when we go to market, um, we went initially after medium-sized businesses. In fact, we went after SMEs. And obviously, it was our mistake because we like we learned that is, our product really doesn't make sense to SME. And honestly, if I was an SME, I wouldn't use Penny. Obviously, in Penny, we use Penny. But if I wasn't a Penny, I wouldn't use Penny if I was an SME. Mm. Um, if we were like a bit on the higher size of medium-sized companies, then the product becomes a necessity and a need. A need. If you're like a big organization, that the product becomes a necessity. Not Penny, mm. but in general, procurement. Now, uh, what we found is that uh, when we go to higher end of medium in Saudi, uh, usually they're not too adaptive to SaaS solutions. Mm. Uh, still, you would. In yesterday, I was in a, I was in a, this big manufacturer in Saudi, and they do, and they do hundreds of millions. Um, and the owner, the owner called me and said, "We really need your support. We need to digitize our procurement." And we went there. And the head of procurement, who's been with them for 25 years, was resistant to anything mm. that is technology. Exactly. And it was very clear. Like we sit with them for two hours, we presented the solution, and everything we say, say, we already we're already doing this. Why do we need this? And well, how are you doing it? And he said, my guys are doing it. And <laughs> so yeah. And then the owner was like, I could tell that the owner was like, oh my god, what are we, what are we going to do? Like he trusts him. He's been with them for 25 years, but he's resisting change. Um, so uh, it's very common. Obviously, you can find these examples everywhere in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and everywhere, right? But it's a bit more common uh, in, in our market because we're still a developing market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and how how do you solve that? Yani, I hear this a lot from startups. You know, the market is not ready for our product. Uh, so much resistance to change. But at the same time, like you have three hundred customers, so you've clearly found a way on convincing them to adopt it. Is there anything in specific that kind of helps close the deal? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, the 300 plus customers are easier to adopt uh, because they are our suppliers and they're using our SaaS system to offer their products and services to our community, right? But the right, the hard ones to 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 adopt for us are the paying enterprise customers because the average ticket of pennies in terms of thousands of dollars. So this is the hard. These are the hard ones to find. Not the not the three hundred and soon would become thousands, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, of, of uh, suppliers and penny. Now, how do we deal with this problem? Um, in market like Saudi, and I believe in the GCC overall. Um, yes, it is harder than a bit more mature markets. Probably harder than the UK, harder than Germany, harder than US and Canada for sure. However, it's not that bad. Mm. You know, when it comes to the when, when it comes to the usage of technology, I think Saudi is one of the top in the world. On, on a personal level, in terms of uh, adaptation of mobile apps, I believe Saudi is one of the top in the world. Yeah. And businesses not there yet. Yeah. But at the end of the day, who are those people in businesses? Exactly. Are the same people who are using their iPhones, right? So it's gonna pick up. 
Exactly. It's just a matter of timing. Correct. Okay. Iyad, آخر سؤال ما نطول على our listeners, but you mentioned and they are in D, right? R and D is so important. Um, and essentially, يعني with with SaaS and software, you know this more than more than me for sure. يعني there are no other operational components they be carrying where you have to build a network effect, where you have more operations on the ground. So it's purely like product and tech and talent is so important عشان you are also planning to compete on a global landscape so where do you find tech talent what's your take on you know the scene in Saudia and how can how what's needed to kind of elevate um, the 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 standards yeah um, obviously that's the pain point of every tech company Right, not only in the region, even in Silicon Valley, that's the main pain point: finding talent. Not only tech talent, but finding talent. In general, with finding talent, I think the best way uh, in an early stage company is for the co-founders to take it upon themselves and be the talent acquisition machine of the company. You might think that I don't have time, I'm too busy, and like, but nothing is more important than this. Nothing is more important than inviting these first joiners of, of, of your company. Like, these are your team players, these are your colleagues, your, you, you need to take this personally. Mm-hmm. So we work with uh, certain agencies that could help us find prospects. It wasn't, like, our experience so far was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the best, the best hires have been hires that we as co-founders have personally uh, reached out to and spent months and months of of uh, convincing and flirtation because like, you know, it's kind of like dating when you're going to get even married. <laughs> so yeah. It's like that with talents. It is exactly. like that. It's like exactly. that with talents. It's like that with VCs, right? With investors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anything better than um, founders themselves finding and selling them and selling the vision and selling the dream. Mm-hmm. They should. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And is your team fully based out of Saudi or are you hiring remotely? No, we are, we're mostly in Saudi and India. Okay, okay. Amazing. Thank you, Yeah, This has really been such an informative session. You touched up on so many gems um, and I'm sure you're, this is going to add a lot of value to all B2B Uh, SaaS founders out there. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lynn. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.